you know, in my, my life, there have been uh, several moments when I was desperate to know the will of God. I don't know if you've ever been there. In a moment in your life when you're like, Lord, I desperately need to know your will. You know, I can think of, um, of the first time I really had this experience was when I was trying to decide where to go to college. I, I uh, wanted to play tennis in the school that I wanted to go to. I got turned down, and, uh, but I had four other opportunities. I was trying to discern what I do, what, what I choose. And I remember saying to the Lord, Lord, I desperately want to know your will. I can think about uh, when I was choosing a major, I had transferred to OBU and, and I uh, was, knew I was called to ministry. I knew I was going to be a pastor. I, I didn't, uh, I was trying to decide what do I major in. And, and uh, I had some advice to me, uh, given to me. Um, some wise men said, Chris, you really ought to have a backup plan with this ministry thing. And uh, you shouldn't major in Bible. And I was wrestling with that. And I remember I remember thinking to the Lord, Lord, hey, I don't have a backup plan. I mean, there's not a lot of jobs you can get with a Bible degree um, outside of the church. And if this ministry thing doesn't work out, I'm in trouble. And I just felt like the Lord said, that's what you're supposed to do. And I remember taking that step of faith and doing that. I, I remember meeting Robin, and, and I wanted to marry Robin way before she wanted to marry me, okay? I, I, I was looking at her going, man, I'm never going to get anybody as good as her. And so... Um, Lord, please let this be your will. Please uh, help her like me. And, uh, um, and I asked her to marry me on February 10th, 1994. I lied to her. It was a great story. It was awesome. It was, uh, uh, I don't have time to tell it now. I didn't lie to her about marrying her. I, I played, I disguised this whole plan. It was phenomenal. And, um, and I remember when I, I, I videoed it, and I, I, I can, got on my knees and I said, will you marry me? And she's like, Yes, I was like, really? You will? Really? And, uh, but it was God's will. I was desperate to know his will. And then all through my ministry with churches and, and just where God has led us and in our churches, we, we, we come together and to seek the will of God. And, and I brought this. This is not a new version of notes today. Uh, I'm not going old school on notes. But, but, I, but this is something I've kept since 2007. And, and for me, it's, it's one of the most... Um, it's one of the greatest treasures of, of my life because it's a reminder of a moment that I watched God reveal his will. I, I, we were um, starting the ambassadors, and, and I, if you know my story, and I'm not going to go into it all because a lot of you know it, but, but I, uh, one of our students had died, and, and he's a baseball player, and I wrote a book, and, and um, and we were trying to decide what to do with this. And, and, um, and so there was a guy in my church. He was a pro baseball coach. He's currently the bullpen coach for the Brewers. And, and uh, we were talking and praying about God is at work. And this is a meeting that we had. And what I wrote here, that, that God seems to be working. Uh, two paths seem to be opening. A baseball team and a book. And these paths seem to be opening. And we, we put together this plan and this ministry idea that we were going to start a baseball team that was going to share the gospel. The problem was we had gone to this uh, guy that was in pro baseball and we said, hey, we got this idea to start a baseball team. And he said, that's not going to work. Don't do it. It's not going to work. 
so we're like, man, what, Lord, what do we do? And, and I thought it would work, and, and, and we were on our knees. And in that meeting, we said, you know what? I know this guy says that it won't work, but guess what? We, we, God's told us to do this, so we're going to do it anyway. And I called Brad Ayler, who was in Houston at the time, and I said, uh, Brad's on our staff and now. And I said, Brad, we're starting this baseball team. And he goes, you don't know anything about baseball. And I go, I know. I know nothing about it. But we're going to do it anyway. And in this summer will be the 10th season of the ambassadors where God has allowed us to share the gospel with tens of thousands of people on a baseball field. And we watched God's will, God's will unveil right before our eyes. And I want you to know something. Do you know that you can understand, you can discern the will of God for your life? That God is faithful to reveal his will to us. And, and, and like you and, and I, there, there will be constantly moments in our future where we will need to, desperately need to know the will of God. Well, that's where the disciples are in Acts chapter 1. You know, we're calling this series Rooted, and one of the ways that we are rooted, you and I are rooted into the, in the will of God. That, that we, are, we are called to know the will of God and discern the will of God. And in Acts chapter 1, the disciples give us an incredible example of how to discern the will of God. Now, it's amazing what had gone on in their lives in the last 40 days or so, a little bit longer, because they had, they had watched Jesus die on the cross, and, and, and their dreams were shattered. Their life was just, they were just shocked that Jesus would die. He taught them, he taught with them, he walked with them, and then he died scattered them. They, they were scared to death. They, they fled. Everybody but John fled. Peter fled. And, and they were devastated. They were crushed. They thought, oh, all our dreams have crashed. And then three days later, Jesus rose from the dead and the disciples had gathered together. Jesus appeared to them. And they were like, oh my goodness, you're kidding me. Their world was shattered. I mean, just blown away that, that, that in one minute it's shattered and the next minute here he is. Oh, my goodness. And, and you see this drastic change in the lives of the disciples from the crucifixion to this moment in Acts chapter 1. And Jesus had been with them for 40 days after he had risen from the dead. He had taught them. He had walked with them. He had instructed them. And though we don't have a record of everything that Jesus taught, it's, a, it's obvious by the lives of the disciples that they were completely transformed. And, and in Acts chapter 1, we saw last week how Jesus was with them, and he said to them in Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the age. Now, Jerusalem, they got it. They were Jews. Um, they, they could relate to Jerusalem. Judea, yeah, okay, we could be a witness there. Samaria? Wait a minute, Jesus. That's a little out of my comfort zone. Samaritans were half Jews, half Gentiles, and they were like, ah, oh, man, okay, Samaria, all right. And then to the ends of the earth, Lord, that's all Gentiles out at the ends of the earth. Oh, no. He's going to go, you're, you're going to receive power. And then as they were standing with Jesus, right before their eyes, we saw last week, he ascended into heaven, and they couldn't believe it. Oh, my goodness, he just went up into the sky and the two angels stood beside them and they said, hey, fellas, stop just staring into the heaven. Let's go. Go. Let's go. Acts chapter 1 continues that they were called to hurry up and wait. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been in a moment in your life when you're like, God, I need to know your will. I'm wrestling with something. I got to hurry up and wait. Well, that's where the disciples were. Now, Acts chapter 1 
Starting in verse 12, we're, we're going to walk through this because they, they give us this incredible example of how to discern the will of God. Would you stand with me and let's read God's word together. Starting in verse 12 verse, through verse 26, the end of the chapter. And they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot, Judas and Judas and the son of James. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. In those days, Peter stood among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120 and said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man, um, now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his bowels gushed out. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the field was called, in their own language, Al-Kedama, that is, the field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, May his camp become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it, and let another take his office. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and they said, Lord, you, Lord, know the hearts of all. Show which one of these two you have chosen to take, the, to take the place in ministry and apostleship from which Judas has turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them. And the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks. You may be seated. Now, now let's look at this, verse 12. I want you to stay with me in this passage because I wanted to unpack this a little bit. Verse 12 and 13 give us uh, a general description of the apostles. They're with, they're together. Uh, they, they were in this waiting period because Jesus had already told them that the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you and you're to wait. You're to wait for this. And what I love about the challenge that we ended last week as, as these men said, okay, you got to go, um, just because we are waiting doesn't mean we're just not doing anything. The disciples, what they did is they, uh, they took a Sabbath day journey, and it's important to realize that all of the disciples here, they didn't see themselves as starting another religion. They were Jews, and, and, and they saw Jesus as the fulfillment of, of the prophecies in Jude Judaism, in the Jewish prophecies. Jesus had fulfilled all those. And so, so God was at work. God was doing some things in their lives. And, and, um, and, and so they, but they still took a Sabbath day journey. They, they were making sure they kept the law here. That was about a half to a three-fourths of a mile distance from the Mount of Olives, which actually put them right inside of Jerusalem. Now, they go into the upper room 
We don't know if this is the same upper room that the disciples were in with the Passover of Jesus. We don't know. But uh, we obviously, obviously it's a pretty big room because there's 120 people there. Look at verse 14. As they come together, look at this. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. Now look at this. In this moment that they didn't know what to do, they, they were like, okay, we've got to hurry up and wait. Well, when you're in that moment that you are waiting for the Lord to move, the Lord to act, whether it's in your family or whether it's you're facing a job change, whether you're praying for a son or daughter or whether you're looking for direction with, the, with um, a tragedy in your life or, or you faced a tragedy like we did with Justin's death. And, and when Justin died, this, it was terrible for all of us. It was this public tragedy and this devastation in our hearts. And we didn't understand God's will. We didn't understand what he was doing. We prayed. And right here, the disciples, that's where they are. They're like, Lord, we, we've got to wait. So what do we do? What do they do? Well, they, they teach us something very important. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. Now, now, they weren't just praying by themselves. They were praying together, which shows lots of things. It shows the importance of the church. You're not supposed to be a Lone Ranger Christian. That I know a lot of people that say, well, I'll go here for a while. I'll go to this church for a while. I'll go to this church for a while. But I don't really need to be a part of a church. And that's not what the scripture says. We are a part of a body. And this group of believers, this body of believers, they came together to pray for direction and for one another. And I want you to see that, that, that if you are seeking the will of God, to know the will of God, it begins with prayer. So the first thing in your notes today, to discern the will of God, we've got to be a people that devote ourselves to prayer. Now, often when we face a tragedy or we face a decision or we face a difficulty, we go this way, don't we? We go, we go horizontal. We, we think, oh, I'm going to ask my pastor and I hope, I hope you have a good pastor. I'm trying to be a good pastor. We, we're trying to be good pastors here. But, but a lot of times we go and ask our friends or our Sunday school teacher or, or, our, uh, or get a, the latest book, self-help book, and we go this way. I'm not saying it's wrong to take advice or seek wisdom or seek counsel. But so often we do this before we go vertical, before we go this way before we ask the Lord. What do the disciples do? They're in this moment that the Holy Spirit's come. What are they praying for? I think they're praying for the ability to recognize the Holy Spirit. They'd not seen this before. This was a, a new territory for them. And, and I think they were coming together going, okay, we're to wait for the Holy Spirit. Lord, how do we know what to do? Well, they had watched Jesus. They had seen him teach. They had walked with him. And like Luke 11, 1, his disciples, when they were with him, they said, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray like, like John taught his disciples. And you know what Jesus did while he was with them? He taught them to pray. So here they were in a moment of not knowing what to do. So what do they do? They go to their knees in prayer together. And this is why you've got to be a part of a group of believers. This is why we've got to be in one another's lives so we can pray with one another and for one another. And I want you to see this. God reveals his will when you pray. And, and this is what happens. Look at verse, um, like they, there were 120 of them were in there. And, and I, I love it. Well, verse 14 goes on. And, and Mary, the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers were there. 
I think that's significant because we know about Jesus' brothers. They didn't believe in him prior to the resurrection. They're like, that's, I'm embarrassed for, because my brother's saying he's God. But then after the resurrection, they said, you're God. You are God. My brother is God in the flesh. And they trans- their lives were transformed. James wrote in, in, um, in the first, first verse in the book of James, James is Jesus' brother, and he says, James, a bond slave of Jesus Christ, my Lord. So the disciples understood, hey, we've got to, his brothers were there. They saw him as Lord. And, and James goes on, and he was there in this moment as they were like, how do we recognize the Holy Spirit? And he taught us in his book, in James chapter 1, verse 5 and 6, look at this. He talks about prayer. He says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God, who give generously to all without reproach. And it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. Now, here's what I want us to understand about prayer. And the disciples are modeling this. Effective prayer, first of all, admits your need. And I want you to see this, that, that when, you're gonna, when you go to the Lord in prayer, you're saying, God, I need you. I need you. And so often we go to other people and say, hey, what do you think? What do you think I should do? But we can't, we can't miss this. The first step we should go to is, God, what do you want me to do? If any of you lack wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach or without finding fault. Effective prayer uh, is this incredible moment when you say, God, I admit that I need you. Effective prayer asks for wisdom. Effective prayer says, God, I need your wisdom. And in your life, whatever you face, all through your journey, you need God's wisdom. For us as a church, we need God's wisdom. And for us to be a group of people that say, Lord, we will seek your wisdom in this place. We will seek your wisdom for our lives. Don't you, don't you understand that God's wisdom, God's direction, God's will is available to you? It's revealed to you. You can know it. Effective prayer asks for wisdom. Effective prayer produces confidence. That when you get on your knees and you say, Lord, I'm going to engage you, I'm going to come to you, God's going to give you wisdom, and God's going to give you confidence. It's just like when we were starting the ambassadors. Um, we weighed this fact that this guy knows baseball more than me, that this, this guy is an authority in, in, in Oklahoma baseball. He's a scout, and he's, he knows youth baseball. He's making all these connections. And he looked at us and said, that's not going to work. The problem was we got on our knees and God said, you're supposed to do this. And so we said, okay, God, we're going to believe you rather than him. And I'm, so, we, and I'm so glad God was right. He wasn't. And let me tell you something. God will be, God's right. God's voice is the right voice in your life. So it's important that we learn to discern. Look at verse 15. In those days, Peter stood up, stood up among the brothers and, and Luke tells us the company of persons was about 120. So you, you see this drastic change in Peter's life. He went from this afraid leader, this afraid guy that, that Jesus was crucified. He cuts off Malchus's ear. He's ready to fight. He's ready to defend Jesus. And then he runs. And then he just, just hours later, a little girl questions him and he's afraid. He's terrified. He runs. He denies he even knew Jesus. 
And yet right here, this moment, they're praying together, and Peter boldly stands before him. And look what he says in verse 16. He says, brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in the ministry. And I know they had to, during that 40-day period, they had to look at Jesus and go, Jesus, what is up with Judas? Why did he do this? Why did he betray us? I mean, Judas betrayed them. He, he, um, I mean, they sold them all out. And, and I wish we, we had a record of everything that Jesus taught in that 40 days. I hope in heaven we'll get to see that video of, the, of that and, and get to experience what all that Jesus taught. But, but, but I can imagine all through Jesus' ministry, and I, and I guarantee you after the, the resurrection, Jesus helped the disciples make connections with prophecies and with his, his resurrection. And so Peter knew, he, he, he looked at the scriptures and he says, the scripture has to be fulfilled. And then verse 18, you'll notice in your Bibles, there's a little parentheses there because Luke gives us a little commentary. For, you remember, he's writing to Theophilus and he's trying to help Theophilus understand the whole story of the resurrection. And he says, now, so he tells us about Judas. Now, Judas was the guy who, who um, uh, sold Jesus out for the 30 pieces of silver. And we know the story, how, how Judas uh, kind of felt bad about that, went to the, um, the, the Pharisees and Sadducees. They threw, he threw the 30 gold pieces at them. Remember that? Threw them at them. And, and he went to that field and he hung himself. Well, these Pharisees, these religious leaders said, we're, we're not going to do anything with this money. This is blood money. So they used that money to buy that field. And that's where Judas died. And he gives us a great picture that, you know, it's rated R. It's, it's graphic here that, that, that Judas hung himself and then his bowels spilled out. And so the reputation all over Jerusalem, that's the field of blood. That's what that field is. And... and you know, Judas had betrayed him. But look what verse 20, Peter says, for it is written in the book of Psalms, may his camp become desolate and let there be no one to dwell in it. Let another take his, take his office. You know what Peter's doing here? He's looking into Psalms. He's quoting Psalm 69, 25 that says, may there can't be a desolation. Let no one dwell in their tents. So obviously he had spent time with Jesus and connected the fact that the, the Psalms, the prophecies predicted this. He looked also at Psalm 109.8, and, and I've heard this quoted for people that don't like who's in the presidential office, but um, may his days be few, may another take his office. You know, that's not talking about our American president, Okay. That's talking about Judas. And so what is Peter modeling here? What are the disciples doing? First of all, they prayed. They're seeking the will of God. And they said, God, we are going to pray. They're going to devote themselves to prayer. But you know what else they do? They search the scriptures. And if you want to know the will of God, you've got to search the scriptures. Because here's the thing, and I want you to catch this today. God reveals his will when I take his word seriously. And for us to be a people that say, God, we want to know your will. We want to know what you're saying. And all of us are in those moments at different times where we say, God, I desperately need to know you. I desperately need to know what you want us to do. Well, pray, devote yourself to prayer. Be devoted to it and, and intentional about it and, and on your knees seeking the face of God. Secondly, search the scriptures. 
You know, I've heard people say, and, and we'll get into this a little bit of how the Holy Spirit is at work, and I've had some people say, well, I just want to listen to the Spirit of God. Well, we, that's good. But one of the ways to listen to the Spirit of God is to know the Scriptures. Because this is God's Word. This is how the, the Spirit of God will never contradict His Word. And so for us to be a people that, that recognize 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. And, and it's amazing how many of life's questions are answered by reading and understanding the word of God. And so for us to be a church that we are faithful to search the scriptures. And it's my prayer as, as, as our congregation grows spiritually that, that, that you understand how to, how to read and how to study the word of God because the stronger you get in the word of God, the, the, the more effective our church becomes, the more capable we are at discerning God's voice. And you know what I love about a church that's in the Word of God and studying it is it makes me accountable to get up and be faithful to God's Word. And I'll tell you what, every pastor needs that accountability. I need that accountability to be faithful with the Word of God. And, and God's Word is so clear that there are some things you don't even have to pray about. In, in when, you, when you think about what God's will is for your life. For example, as a, as a teenager, you don't have to be faithful about, uh, about being sexually pure throughout, throughout your whole life. As an adult, we don't have to pray about being sexually pure, saving ourselves for marriage, keeping sex in that, under that protection and that, that, um, that commitment of marriage. Because 1 Thessalonians 4 says this, for it's God's will that you're to be sanctified, that you are to avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God. And it is right for us to put boundaries in our lives on what we see on the internet on, on our, uh, and, and learn to control our bodies. That's God's will. We don't have to pray about, uh, do we honor our father and mother? The Bible tells us, honor your father and mother. We don't have to pray about, should we have an attitude of gratitude? Should we be grateful people? No, because 1 Thessalonians 5.18, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus, that God has revealed and God has spoken through his word. Now, now some questions to ask as you, as you search the scriptures. Let me give you three. It, it, as we search the scriptures, you've got to, first of all, ask this question, do I have a teachable mind? When you study the scriptures, is my mind teachable? You know, um, why, why do we call this the word of God? Because it's God speaking to us. And this is why you'll hear me say over and over again that, that whenever, I, whenever we as a people find a belief, that we discover that we hold a belief that is contrary to the word of God, then we are compelled to change our beliefs to line up with scripture. If we have a practice that is contrary to the word of God, we are compelled to change our practices to line up with scripture. And, and there are only two ways you can study the Bible. 
You could come and study the Bible with your mind already made up, saying, now this is what I believe, and I'm just going to study it with my mind made up. Or you could study the Bible, allowing God to change your mind. And this is who I pray we are. We've got to have a teachable mind. Second thing, um, am I willing to line up with Scripture? Am I willing to follow and, and, and to submit my life? Like we just sang that song, I surrender all. Am I willing to say, Lord, I will surrender to your voice. I will listen to you. I will walk with you. Um, and, and this is important. And a third question, am I really listening to what God is saying through his word? You see, any of us can open up our Bible and just kind of go like this and go, God, what are you saying? Okay, this. But, but you've got to understand it. You've got to listen. You've got to read this verse, these verses, read Scripture in context. You've got to discern what God is saying and, and, and study and look deep into Scripture. But the point is the disciples are setting an incredible example here because, because they are discerning and they are, they, they are praying and they're on their knees and then they search the Scriptures. Now look at verse, tw- verse 21. So one of the men who have accompanied us, so here's what Peter does. He, he, he makes a decision here and he says, uh, so one of the men who have accompanied us during the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from John the Baptist, the baptism of John the Baptist, until the day when he was taken up from, of, from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. So basically, he lays out the criteria for apostleship. Now, here's what I believe about this office. This is an office in Scripture, the office of apostle. Now, I have met men. I've met some guys that have introduced themselves to me in just church circles and pastor circles and said, hey, I'm an apostle. I'm like, I don't know, man. I don't think you are. The the, the office of apostle, and I've been nice about that. I haven't just, you know, punched somebody in the face about that. But, But... But the bottom line is the office of apostle died with the apostles. Right here, they lay out. Luke reminds us what this office was. This was these were men who were with Jesus from the baptism of John the Baptist and were witnesses to the resurrection. And he said, we need one of these guys to be a, to, to be a witness to all this. Now, uh, it's interesting because uh, right here, I think what Peter does, he goes on, and, and so what they did is they, they, they put forward two men. There were two men in the group that fit that requirement. They had Joseph, and they had Matthias. And it's interesting, they bring these men to the front, look at verse 26, and they cast lots for them. And the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. That's interesting, you may think, man, was that a mistake? I mean, there's a lot of people that say, I think that was a mistake. They, it's like they went to the casino right there and said, hey, let's, uh, let's figure this out. Let's flip a coin. You know, you know what we're not doing today? We're not, w- with this decision with, with Calvary, we're not like flipping a coin in our church and saying, okay, if it's heads, we're going we're gonna to walk through this door, door. If it's tails, we're not. Let's see. There, there, are, there are some theologians that argue this was, a, this was a mistake because later on Paul became an apostle and some people make the argument that the disciples, they jumped the gun here. But I don't think they did that. I, I think that they were, they were modeling for us how to discern, how to, how, to, how to walk in the will of God. 
Because every time God speaks, every time you get on your knees and pray, every time you search the scripture, there comes a moment when you have to do something. You gotta do something. And the disciples, you know what they did? They did something that was right in line with scripture. So point number three is, and I want you to understand this, to discern the will of God, you gotta do something. Now, now, I want you to understand this. God reveals his will when I take a biblically wise step. That God will reveal his will when you take a step that's biblically wise. You may say, Chris, how is this biblically wise? How, how is this a, a biblical step? They cast lots. Well, this was an Old Testament practice. Proverbs 16, 33 says this, says the lot is cast into the lap, but every decision is from the Lord. So the disciples made a biblical step here to say, look, we are going to, to, to follow scripture. But you know what's interesting? In this, this is the last time you ever see God's people making a decision by casting lots. That was an Old Testament practice. But see, this is the last time nowhere else in Scripture do you see people casting lots. Why? Why do you think that is? Well, it's because Acts 2, the Holy Spirit comes. And so you and I, what we have, we have something that, that the disciples didn't have at this moment. We have the indwelling Holy Spirit. So it is right for us to seek the Lord with this decision with Calvary and, and seek the Lord's face and let the Lord lead us versus just flip a coin. But in the midst of where the disciples were in this moment, they still made a biblically wise decision. What is wisdom? Wisdom is the ability to take information and bring it together and get God's perspective on the right way to use the information. And what's interesting is in their, even in their casting lots, you know what they're doing? They're taking a step of faith. Because they're saying, Lord, you are the one that will determine. Proverbs 16, you will determine the outcome here. And so when the lot fell on Matthias, they said, you're in, man, and they never looked back. Now, we know about Matthias in church tradition, though it's interesting, no, nowhere else in Scripture is Matthias mentioned, but church tradition shows that he went on to serve the Lord incredibly well and was a martyr for his faith. And, and what's interesting here is that, that I want us to catch today, the disciples took a step of faith here. Yes, they, they prayed they, they searched the scriptures, and then they did something that was a wise step of faith. They said, Lord, we will trust you with this outcome. And I want you to understand about faith. Faith is not faith until you act on it. Let me, let me say that again. Faith is not faith until you act on it. You know, Jesus didn't raise from the dead for these guys just to sit around idle and sit around just, just waiting, looking at the wall. No, they were ready to, to get, they were, they were, when the Holy Spirit was, gonna, was coming, they were going to be ready, and they were going to have a full team. And all of them were going to be ready. And, and you know what? You know what faith is? Faith is this moment when you roll up your sleeves and you say, Jesus, you can count on me. Jesus, I'm in. That's what faith is. And you know what? That's what I pray for us as a church. You know, faith is, faith is an action. Until you act on your faith, you're just talking. And I want to ask you a question today. For us as believers, are we acting in faith? Are we living by faith? Are, we, are you just living every day of your life with what you can do in your own power? 
Or are you really trusting the Lord for his strength, for him to work, for him to act, for him to lead? And, and you know, um, this whole idea of this Sunday, the next two weeks as we vote on taking this step of faith, as we vote on walking into the unknown, I see it as a, as a door that God is saying, do you trust me? You know, what we need around here, you know, you know we don't need money around here. I'm not saying you shouldn't tithe. Some of you know that you need to become a tither and you're not trusting the Lord with what he's given you. And I'll promise you something, you'll never be able to outgive God. But I want you to know, we don't need money around here. Do you know what we need around here? What I'm praying that for me as your pastor and for all of us as, as, our, as our congregation, that we are people with spiritual eyes. That we are people with, with eyes of faith and trust and, and, and that we are people that, that don't look at problems but we see potential. That we don't look at challenges but we, but we look at our Savior. And I pray that we, that, that we are a people that see our lives and our ministries through the eyes of faith. Not with what we've done before or what we can do, but what God is doing and trusting him every step. I want you to just hear this, what, what Paul wrote later on in Romans in chapter, chapter 1. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. You know, if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Christ, he calls you righteous. And because he has made us righteous, he has called us to be a people that live by faith, to trust him. And you know what my prayer is? That we as a congregation, that you as an individual, that we don't miss the adventure of saying, God, we will trust you no matter what the circumstance, whether you get that phone call of a tragedy that's, that's taking place right in your life, whether it's a loss that you can't explain, whether, whether you get that uh, call of, a, of an illness or whether you are facing a job change or a move or uh, uncertainty in our economy or uncertainty in our nation or even persecution itself. Let me tell you something. The righteous live by faith. And we are called to this incredible gospel adventure to walk by faith and to trust in Jesus and get, and get ready because when you follow him, when you trust him, you can't stay in your seat. You can't just sit there and look. There's a reason I, I, I think it's good for us to practice not spectator worship, but getting out of our seats and off our rears and standing and saying, God, we're gonna praise you today. Because I'll be honest with you, there are too many churches that are sitting on their rears. And church family, we ain't one of them. We're going to be a church that walks with Jesus, that trusts him, that says, Lord, we will walk through every door you open. And we will trust you every step of the way. Don't you want to be a church that experiences the power of God? The will of God? Well, we've got to be a church that devotes ourselves to prayer. 
that searches the scriptures, and then a church that does something. And that's my prayer. Where are you today? If you, if you don't know Jesus, oh, I, I, I beg you today, come to him. Know what it's like to be forgiven. Don't live another day apart from a saving relationship with Christ. Are you a believer that you've just been, you've been on your rear too long? Hey, let's go. Life's too short, and these days are too critical for us to be casual about this. Let's walk with Jesus. Our altars are open. And, and you know, maybe it's time for you to start seeking the Lord in prayer. Come. Maybe it's time for you to join a church. Join our church. Come. We'll help you get in that process. My prayer is that we are a people that really say, God, I surrender all. Can you say that? Can you honestly look the Lord in the eye and say, Lord, I surrender all today? You'll never regret it. And you'll never be the same. Would you stand where you are? Lord Jesus.